Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. I'm Annette. I'm a mother, a wife, a doula, entrepreneur, manifesting generator one three. I love reading research and learning new things. And I really love ignoring the research if my intuition tells me that it's wrong or not right for me. (laughs) I am a lover of women's circles, feminine empowerment, finding new or maybe old natural remedies that I can use for my family. I really love the full moon. It was just a full moon a few days ago. And my menstrual cycle, love my menstrual cycle, taking baths with my daughter and so much more. And I'm a fighter for reproductive rights, autonomy and right to information. And I'm actually the chairman of the board of Birthrights Norway. Uh, I'm Norwegian. I live in Trondheim in Norway with my Dutch husband and our two-year-old daughter. She's almost two and a half, actually. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of infamous at the hospitals in my area <laughs> because I'm a doula who empowers my clients to make their own decisions. And I tell them that they actually have a right to bodily autonomy, even though they're pregnant. Imagine that. <laughs> I come from a line of teenage mothers. My grandma was 19 when she had her first baby. My mom was 18 when she had my sister. And then my sister was 16 when she had my nephew. I was 11 years old when my sister got pregnant. And there was this really like huge focus on me not getting pregnant young. Like people told told me this all the time, like grandparents and aunts and uncles, my parents. I... I agreed with them, like I didn't want to get pregnant young either. I really wanted to get an education. I really wanted to, I felt like I wanted to like be the change or something, <laughs> you know, like to be different than than that side of my family. I call myself an, own, an only child, but I also have seven siblings because I have seven half siblings. Uh, my mom has five kids with five different fathers, so that's been turbulent. (laughs) Uh, My dad, however, married my stepmom when I was about six years old and they have three kids together. So that side was kind of the more stable side of the family. Uh, But I lived with my mom until I was, I think I was, yeah, I was 10. I was almost 11. And then I moved to my dad's. Um, And I went and got hormonal birth control when I was 15 and got, and I had my first boyfriend 
Um, and then I was on that for about 11 or 12 years until my husband and I wanted to start our family. And no one had told me the side effects or long-term issues that hormonal birth control can cause. And I remember after I had stopped taking hormonal birth control and then I was talking with my stepmom about something and then I, I said something about that I had all these side effects after quitting hormonal birth control. And then she was like, what? You've been on that for so long? <laughs> And I was like, you never told me. Nobody ever told me that this was a bad idea. Like, how could, I, how could I have known at 15? I didn't know that. And I remember when I was an exchange student in the US when I was 17. And I told my host mom, we were talking. We had so many amazing talks. She's, she's the best. <laughs> and I had this talk with her and I told her that I had this feeling or maybe... Maybe I was afraid that having kids would be difficult for me later. And her being this wonderful, beautiful Christian woman said something along the lines of maybe that feeling is God's way of preparing you for what's to come. And I think maybe she was right, although I call it the universe instead of God. But for me, it's the same thing. Or maybe I manifested my fertility challenges myself. I think I did sometimes because my journey of, I don't want to say infertility. I don't like saying infertility because I was never infertile. But my, my fertility journey was exactly what I needed. And it changed my life and it made me into this really awesome human being that I really want to be. <laughs> And of course, there's still so much more to learn, but I'm just so happy that I, that I went through this huge change during those years. And I'm so, so, so grateful for that. So my husband and I got married in 2014. And about a year and a half later, we decided that we wanted to start a family. And that was actually a lot later than what I would have liked because I felt so I had this really strong feeling inside from from a very young age that I really really wanted to be a mom but I had really I'd pushed that away and pushed it away and pushed it away because I wasn't supposed to be a young mom I was supposed to wait until I was married and settled and had a good job and an education and all these things I was supposed to be like the the really sensible one that did all the smart things you know and so uh, we were done studying, we had gotten married, we had already been together for many years. I met him when I was 19, um, which was in 2008, and then we married in 2014. Finally, about a year and a half later, I told him, like, I really, really want to have kids. Can we, like, are you ready? Do you want to, like, can we please start doing this? Um, and, uh, him being like a typical, I, I feel like that's such a typical man thing to say. His answer was, kids, I never even thought of that. <laughs> like it was this new idea that he'd never even imagined, you know. <laughs> but um, it only took like a few months and then he was like so ready 
too. So I, I stopped taking hormonal birth control. Your husband, like, <laughs> it's why you have a penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but in like in this modern age that we live in, this weird world, it's like that's not what it's about, you know? Because we have this hormonal birth control and you don't even have to think about it. And if that goes wrong, then you can take a morning after pill or you can even have an abortion. And it's all just, it's all talked about as if it's so easy, you know? So when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a lawyer and that changed. And then I wanted to be a psychologist and I went and I studied psychology for a little bit and that changed. And then I went and I got a teaching degree in theater and I was pretty good at being a drama teacher, but I had never really taken the time or the space, which was very, that's very telling about the person that I was before. <laughs> I'd never really felt inwards to notice how being a drama teacher made me feel. And it, it didn't make me feel great at all. So every day, every single day as a teacher, I had this overwhelming feeling of, of imposter syndrome. Just feeling like, I can't do this. Someone's going to notice that I'm a fraud. I don't know anything. I'm just pretending. I have no idea what I'm doing. That was so huge for me to notice that. And I didn't notice until quite a while after I'd quit hormonal birth control. And I think, I think it's probably connected. All of this is connected. When you're on hormonal birth control, it just suppresses so much in your life. Like your feelings and... Uh, your your sex drive and your how you're interested in other people and it's just so it's so important and nobody tells you that when you're 15 and you go in to get your birth control because you have a boyfriend you know so after I quit the hormonal birth control I got this really really horrible awful cystic acne and it was all over my face I was in my like second half of my 20s and my students were all around 19, 18, 19, 20 years old. So I wasn't that much older than them, but still it was like seven years older maybe. And when I got this really horrible acne, I felt like, well, I'd always looked young. So when, whenever parents came to the school, sometimes they would mistake me for a student. <laughs> And then with this acne, I felt like, okay, this is just like, the, the this is too much, <laughs> you know, like, I look like a teenager. It felt so awful. And it really, um, I had like the summer that it arrived, it came about four months after I'd quit the birth control. It started, and it was only on my face, nowhere else. And that summer, I hardly even like left the house, because I felt so ashamed. It was awful, really, really awful. When the school year started again, of course I had to go to work. <laughs> and then uh, I did, and a bit later in the year I got a referral to um, like a skin doctor specialist person. And he wanted to offer me, well, he could only offer me one thing, which was this medication, this really heavy-duty medication. I don't remember what it's called. Um, but it's, it's really awful and it, I wonder yeah. if it's Accutane. I don't know if you call it that in Norway, but in the United States, 
In the United States, most people with horrible acne get put on Accutane, and it comes with heavy duty warnings. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, and so what what he said the doctor was that if I if I wanted to take that medication, if I was going to take it, then I would have to take hormonal birth, birth control because you're not allowed to get pregnant while you're on that medication. I didn't I wasn't yet aware enough that I would have said no to that medication anyway. But him saying that that means you have to go back on the birth control was just a huge, that was a clear no for me. And that was such a huge shift for me because when I chose to say no to the medication that could remove the acne, that made me feel differently about the acne. So then I was like, okay, so I could have chosen medication to get rid of this and I didn't. So then I accepted, okay, so this is, this is what I look like now. <laughs> like, okay, I have this acne. That's my choice instead of it's something that just happens to me. And then he prescribed me this cream that I never even opened because it also said on the cream that you can't get pregnant while you're on it. And I was like, okay, that's a red flag. I'm not using that. <laughs> When you just described the power in your, no, I'm not going to take that medication. What you described was feeling a victim to the acne. Poor me. My body is doing this to me. And then when you had that option of choice and you actually felt like it was a choice, you had the, the power of choice and to say no and that's when your perception of the acne change that's a little moment to some people but that's huge that's huge that's like when your power comes online absolutely and that's definitely what happened as well also with that cream that i i actually went and i picked it up from the pharmacy the cream and then i wrote then i read on the cream that it said uh, you shouldn't use it if you're pregnant or if you're planning to get pregnant. Then I was like, no, okay, not doing this. <laughs> also because I was like, this means that it's not good for my body. If you can't use it, if you're planning to get pregnant, then it's bad for your body. And this probably took longer, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the timeline anymore because it's been a few years, but not that long after I started realizing that my goal was not to have a baby. That was my first goal was I really, I need to have a baby, you know, and that changed from that into, I want to become a healthy mom with a healthy family. And that changed so much in how I pursued my goal because it stopped being about, you know, just the ovulation and having sex at ovulation and started being about, okay, what can I do to support my body in this? Um, And I actually started learning fertility awareness, which was amazing for me. And I'm so, so thankful for it. I know that people are like divided about it, you know, like, should you just slow or should you learn your cycle? But for me, this was so, so, so important. Also, because I started, I started really loving my menstrual cycle from learning fertility awareness and I started like like I learned so much about how amazing my body is and how cool it is when it bleeds and 
and with ovulation and all the fertile mucus and all of those things. And I'm still so, I love it so much that even now with my, with my two-year-old daughter, when she goes to the toilet with me, because she does that all the time, of course, um, and I'm ovulating, then I show her, I show her like the fertile mucus and I'm like, so this is the fertile mucus, it's because mama's ovulating and she loves it. <laughs> She's so, she finds it so interesting and she wants to see if I'm bleeding and it's so cool. And I really, I just wanna really teach her that her body is amazing and just empower her so that when she when she gets her period later and her cycle later, that it, it doesn't feel like a curse to her. That it's actually the gift that it really, really is. And I, I, even, I even felt that way when my cycle wasn't super healthy. Because it wasn't. Really wasn't. When we were trying to get pregnant, even though like for such a long time, like every month I would hope, okay, this is the one. This is the month. Maybe, maybe now, maybe this time I'm pregnant. And then my bleed would come. And I think for, for a lot of people, that's such a disappointing moment. But for me, every time it was such a relief. <laughs> Not because I didn't want to be pregnant, because I did. But just that, that physical relief of, oh, okay, my body is relaxing. My body is working. You know, it became the sign of, look at this, my body is working. My body's doing exactly what it's meant to do. And that was so cool. And we had asked at our local hospital where we used to live. We lived in this really small city. And we had asked there um, to, ha- to get a fertility assessment. Um, because they had done like the bare minimum of testing. Just a couple of blood tests and a couple of other things. Nothing intrusive, but just like looking at his sperm and just seeing if my, uh, um, if, if like everything physically looked okay, you know. Um, but they, at this little small local hospital, they didn't really have much knowledge of fertility at all. So eventually they referred us to a larger fertility clinic that was a couple hours away to get this assessment. And we knew that we only wanted to get the assessment. We didn't want to do IVF. We didn't want to do any hormones. Because I was just so... I just felt so sure that... Well, there's a couple of things, actually. I didn't want to inject poison into my body. (laughs) That's one thing. And then the other one was that I felt like... um, My body is telling me that it's not able to do this. That it's not ready to get pregnant and carry a baby. And I really felt like doing IVF would be like forcing my body to do something that it's obviously telling me it's not able to do at this moment. So I really wanted to heal and I wanted the assessment to have more knowledge about what was going on physically. How many years were you trying to conceive until you went and got some assessments? I think maybe maybe two years definitely longer than one year definitely like a year and a half at least okay and what was your inner world like during those two years all i wanted was to get pregnant not necessarily in a very healthy way like i became i became kind of like 
obsessed about it and yeah I would read everything of course I'm a one three I know that now I didn't know that then (laughs) so I research everything I read everything and I remember when my fertility awareness instructor she wanted to help me to uh, heal my gut and then I went on this uh, this diet and she said that you really shouldn't get pregnant while we're doing this so I want to ask you to hold off and just stop trying for about three to six months and I remember I was devastated I couldn't imagine waiting three to six months that that felt like forever because I wanted to I wanted to have a baby already you know and I was really it was this really yeah I would like cry a lot and and when other people talked about having babies or got pregnant, I would be like super upset, very sad uh, and jealous, very jealous. But and I don't I don't really know when this changed, but it changed very gradually, <laughs> of course. But something definitely changed with that skin doctor appointment that I when I said no to that medication and then when I learned about my cycle, it started changing, but it still hadn't changed that much because I was still super devastated when she said I needed to stop trying to get pregnant. But yeah, it still took quite a while for me to be more comfortable in the position that I was in, not being able to have kids yet. Uh, But I never, well, like some people, like some of my friends were like, um, but what if what if you can never have kids? Uh, what do you want to do then? Do you want to maybe like, I don't know, think about adoption, think about fostering, things like that. And I've, I've always wanted to adopt, but it was never for me an alternative to having kids of my own. It was always like, and. It was always supposed to be like something, uh, like I felt like I was I was supposed to do both. And I never ever during this whole journey, even even in the beginning and even after one year, two years, I never felt like, oh my gosh, we're never going to have kids. I felt like I always knew we're going to have kids. I know that. So just the, the sadness and the jealousy and all of those feelings were mostly about the timeline. I remember when I turned 30, I was devastated. Because I was supposed to be a mom by 30. You know, I was supposed to be a mom by then. And I just, oh my gosh, I was supposed to, well, I, I went into work. But then as I was driving to work, I had to pull over. Because I was just bawling in the car. I was just sitting there crying in my car <laughs> before going into work. And then I came in. And of course, because I turned 30, they had this cake and they had all of this stuff going on and I on the inside I was like okay this is nothing to celebrate this is not something to celebrate I was just so sad yeah so you feel like for the first few years you were a victim to your life the way it was like you were at war with your current life your current reality that's you know that's very common 100% but then you feel like it gradually shifted like oh this is for me like when did that happen yeah, that's that's a really good question. It's much later, much, much later. I think maybe my daughter was born in 2021. And 
2020 was the year that changed everything for me. So the beginning of 2020, like even before the lockdowns and everything, (laughs) uh, I really started changing. And I made some huge decisions that really changed my whole mindset. And yeah, that's when it happened. And then she was born in November 2021. So the year after. Which is, that's that's also a really good story. (laughs) I'm excited to talk about that too. So in 2018, I got pregnant. That was a little over two years into our fertility journey. And I had this really amazing contact with the baby and I was talking to the baby and singing to the baby and it was this really, it was so nice Um, and it felt so amazing. And then I went to this yoga retreat and while I was there, the connection disappeared and I was unable to talk to the baby. And at first I thought, okay, it's because I'm in this strange place with all these people and that's probably fine. And then I came home and I still couldn't talk to the baby anymore. Like there was no contact there. And that was when I was about seven weeks pregnant. And then we started, when I was about 11 weeks, we started telling people, we were telling our families that we were pregnant, but inside I knew something's not right something's not right but we started like I never told my husband even that it didn't feel good that it didn't feel right because I wouldn't I did not want to believe it I really really wanted to believe that I was pregnant and that we were having a baby and so telling other people was just as much to convince me that we were having a baby as it was to tell other people and I remember we were at my parents' house and, and their dog was lying on my lap and he had his like head and his face into my stomach. And my family were like, oh, he probably knows you're pregnant, you know? And I was thinking, I think he knows that the baby's dead. And I think he probably did. So when I was 14 weeks along, we had an ultrasound. And of course, the baby had stopped developing at seven weeks exactly when I went to that yoga retreat. So I just, I knew, but I didn't, I wasn't, I was not ready to accept that that was my reality. Then, well, when I got pregnant in the first place, what happened was I almost immediately had this rage in me against my mom. (laughs) I was so angry with her and I, I could not understand where it came from even though like <laughs> I, have, I have many reasons to be angry with my mother, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but I didn't understand where it came from in that moment because I had already done, I, f- I felt like at the time, like I- I've already done so much work, um, but I really hadn't done like hardly any work at all. <laughs> and I think what it felt like for me is that when, when I got pregnant, I immediately had this amazing connection with the baby and I felt this like overwhelming feeling of love towards this baby and then comparing that with how I was treated as a child 
it didn't make sense to me at all. Like, if you love somebody like this, then you don't treat them that way. And so after I found out that I had a missed abortion, and then there was this huge, it was really, it was really dramatic because the first doctor that we saw, he was very, he had so much like fear, I feel like. And from what he was seeing in the ultrasound pictures, he was afraid of a lot of things. So there was, they started talking about like, maybe I would like lose my uterus. And it was this huge, like really dramatic, about 24 hours that we didn't know like, so maybe tomorrow I'm having surgery and then we're never going to have kids because I won't have a uterus, you know? That was insane. So I had to come back to the hospital the day after and uh, do a DNC. And so they were afraid that the... It looked like in the ultrasound pictures that the one, like, wall of my uterus had gotten really thin, but... Apparently, that wasn't really the case at all. So they just did the DNC and everything was fine. But that was so stressful. And then after that, which is so like, I didn't know at the time that you could have such a huge reaction to having to having a miscarriage. Because my reaction to it was huge. I was crushed. And I went into I personally wouldn't call it a depression um but that's also because I don't I don't really love that term as much but I really started feeling the trauma that I had had as a child that's pretty much what happened not being treated very well but also not being taken seriously um being like getting laughed at and ridiculed for normal normal things you know having feelings for example things like that and I was actually um I went on sick leave and I thought like I googled of course like (laughs) how long are you supposed to be on sick leave after having a, a miscarriage and it said like most people are okay with two days and I'm like okay two days let's see what happens in two days. Um, And I ended up being like, I was completely away from work for, I think, four months. And then I started working, I think it was like two days a week, maybe. So, and then I only worked two days a week for the rest of that school year until the summer of 2019. And in that time, I... um, I went and saw a psychologist, started doing a lot of like trauma therapy and things and really learning more about what was going on inside of me. But also I learned so much about my mom (laughs) and not from asking her, but just from learning about myself pretty much and then realizing things from my own childhood. And I, I feel like I don't, I don't want to share too much about that because I really, I I care about my mom and she's still very much part of my life. Um, And I don't want to like share her story, you know, Uh, but she had a lot of trauma growing up as well. Yeah, I I more so want to know how doing that work changed you. 
how did it transform you? The baby that came into my life for seven weeks and then he went away. It was a boy. I know that it was a boy. Not from any medical anything, but just I know that. (laughs) Uh, And then when he went away, that really broke me and it saved me. I'm so, I'm so thankful for this beautiful little soul that came and just woke me up because I absolutely needed that horrible, awful, messy breakdown. Like we had to do some serious couples therapy and I had to do some really serious therapy (laughs) and it was really awful and horrible while I was like in that deep, dark place but I would not have had it any other way because I so, so, so needed that. And it really made me start to look at how, how am I feeling? What am I actually feeling? And that's when I realized that teaching theater is not something that I should be doing (laughs) because it's, it's really, it's really nice. And I really, I loved my students so much. And still, when I think about my students, I love them so much. But it just, it was so, it was not for me at all. And so I quit my job. I had this really amazing contract and it was my dream job. And it's the dream job of so many people. And I, I quit. And then we actually moved seven hours away from where we lived because we were both my husband took a little bit of convincing to realize well he knew but he didn't really want to admit it that that was not the place for us we were not supposed to live there and then exactly a year after the first pregnancy I got pregnant again and that's that was in this new place where we live now but I was so scared I was like in the middle of my trauma therapy and I hadn't finished that yet. And I was still very much in the, in the deep, dark place. (laughs) I hadn't gotten out of that yet. And I had no connection to the baby. I felt nothing. And I'm thinking there was probably a soul there that tried to connect with me, but I just was not open to it. I was just, it was... That was actually, I think that was me that said, no, I'm not ready. You need to come back later. Yeah, I want to touch on first, that first baby soul touched your body for seven weeks and then you changed your life. That's how powerful these souls are. That changed the trajectory of your entire life, you and your husband. It's, it's, it's truly, truly amazing. And I recently tragically lost my six-month-old kitten and... In the first two days when I was so angry and so Mm. shocked, I couldn't feel him. And I let myself be angry, right? That's what happens with death. But then after two days passed, and I was ready to be done with the anger, that's when he came in. That's when he came in and I felt his energy. And he came and talked to me and curled up on my neck. And we were able to talk to each other and commune with each other. And that showed me that when we're so absorbed in our human emotions of anger or fear we 
are not even in the vibration to allow those spirits to commune with us. That's what I took from that situation. It's not to say, hey, don't ever be in fear and don't ever be in anger. It's, it's just recognizing that when we're in that vibration, we're not in the receptive state for spirit. And so it's more motivation to face the fear and more motivation to face the anger so that it can be felt and moved on. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And I'm so sorry to hear about your loss. Yeah, he came in for six months to teach me a lot. It's just like a baby soul. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's, that's, it's so true because I was just... I was so scared that I wasn't able to be open to it. Whereas when I got pregnant the first time, um, I was I was in this kundalini yoga class and I did some one-on-one with that teacher as well and she had me do some meditations. And in one of those meditations that I was doing just at home, I saw my children. I saw a, a girl that was a little bit older and she had she had long brown hair and long curly hair my my daughter's too and she has pretty much no hair yet <laughs> but that's still coming <laughs> but she had this she had long curly brown hair and she was walking in this field and she was just this like really she was so like secure she was just walking quite quite like she would walk a little bit away from me because, it, and it didn't feel like she was leaving me. She was just playing. She was just doing her thing. And she was so safe and so secure that it wasn't a problem that for her to be a little bit away from me. Uh, we were out in nature and then there was this face. <laughs> and it was just the face of this I'm laughing as I'm talking about it because it was the happiest baby I've never seen such a happy baby <laughs> and it was a little boy and he was just smiling with this huge like his whole head was smiling and it was so beautiful and it was it was so amazing so then when I got pregnant the first time I was like yeah here she is you know but pretty, I was pretty quick to change into thinking like, no, this is a boy. And then with the second time around, of course, I had no idea because um, I had no connection. And then again, at about seven or eight, or eight weeks, it stopped growing and I had another missed abortion. And with that one, I felt just numb. It was just like, yeah, I knew it. I knew this would happen. You know, I was numb. I was a little bit angry. I remember having this huge fight with my mother-in-law a couple of weeks later. Like, that's the biggest fight we've ever had. (laughs) And I hadn't even told her that I was pregnant or that we had this missed abortion. So she had no idea. So this was all, like, going on inside of me. We hadn't really told many people at all for the second pregnancy. Because I just felt, I don't know, it just, it didn't feel real to me. And I really, I felt like for a while that I had to pretend that everything was okay, but it really, nothing was okay. (laughs) Nothing was okay. And then for the rest of 2019, after we had moved here, I really, I came a lot further in my journey with the, I did EMDR, 
like the eye movement therapy thing for trauma, which was, it, it was helpful. It was absolutely helpful. But I, I feel like for me, it could never like get me all the way, you know? Uh, but I started, I started like, started discovering my spirituality. And that changed a lot for me. Just believing that the universe is good and that and really believing in those spirit babies, you know, like before I had, I had felt that and I'd had that connection to the baby, but I'd never, I'd never dared to say it out loud because I was like, okay, people are going to think that I'm crazy if I <laughs> say this out loud because I had no friends who believed in this kind of thing. And, but after moving here, which was exactly what we, we, we had to do that. We had to move here. I have all these really amazing, awesome spiritual friends and I have this really amazing women's circle and all of these other types of connections that we didn't have there, which really allowed me to become a much truer version of me. And then 2020 came, which was four years into our fertility journey. And it was my best year ever. I loved 2020. Like, I know a lot of people hated 2020, but I loved it. <laughs> and not, not all the lockdowns and the, all of those things, but just it was a really good year because that was the year that I, I really decided to choose me. I hadn't bought any new clothes for four years because maybe I'll be pregnant. I can't buy an expensive dress because I'm going to get pregnant. And then my body's going to change and then I'll never fit into that dress anymore. You know, those kinds of thoughts. And I'd put off studying and I'd held off on following my dreams because maybe I'll get pregnant. And then after four years in January of 2020, I had this really amazing talk with a friend. I haven't even, I've hardly even seen her after that, but we had this, we had this really good talk. And then I just decided, okay, it's enough. This is enough. I'm not doing this anymore. And so I booked a trip to go to India for a month. And that was six months. I, I booked it six months in advance to go there for a month and go to like a yoga ashram thing. Because I had wanted to do that for years. And I kept telling myself, no, I can't book that six months in advance because I'll be pregnant. <laughs> and then... Uh, this was in January of 2020, and then in February, everything closed down, and so my trip was canceled, and, and I didn't mind at all, because it was never about the trip. It was never about going to India. It was about choosing me, you know? It was about doing things that I wanted to do. And so later that year, I enrolled in doula school, because I had put off on becoming a doula, because I thought... There's no way and nobody is going to want me as a doula when I don't have kids of my own and I can't get pregnant. And of course, for a while there, it was about I, I don't I don't think I'm able to be a doula and be happy for other people having babies. But that had changed so much. And I was just I was so happy for other people having babies. That was really no problem at all. Like that had completely, completely changed. And so I enrolled in doula school, which is a two-year part-time training program, uh, which meant that I, we, we had to travel to another city. Well, I had to travel to another city to, um, 
that was one weekend a month I had to go and actually fly there to <laughs> to go to class and then I started my podcast about pregnancy and birth and I hadn't dared to do that before because I thought who would listen to a childless nobody talking about pregnancy and birth and it turns out a lot of people would actually because <laughs> my podcast got pretty popular and then at the end of 2020 my husband and I actually took an adoption class and like I said before I'd always wanted to adopt uh, and my husband had been more hesitant but for me, that was, that was definitely not about giving up on having biological ch- children. It had nothing to do with that. It was two separate things. It was more like I felt like, okay, you know what? I feel super healthy. I feel balanced. I feel happy. You know, and let's have a kid, you know, let's do this. And so we went to this adoption class and I... I never lost faith that we would have biological children, but I didn't know how long it would take. So that was my suggestion to, why don't we just adopt first and then we'll have biological kids after. That's fine. And it was kind of hard because whenever we would tell people that we were planning to adopt or thinking about adopting, people would be like, oh, that's so great because, you know, maybe you can't have biological kids. And that just always felt so wrong for me that adoption is something that you do because you can't have biological children. It just felt that was never how we entered into that process. It was really something that we wanted to do and it still is. It is the reality that a lot of people are in and I just really hope people can really sit with their heart. And it actually brings up emotions because adoptees have trauma because of it where they feel like they're the second choice and they are a lot of the times it's because the parents couldn't get pregnant and I know that's not the path for me because currently I feel like the adopted child is my second choice and I could never I could never reckon with that ever they don't deserve that in the same in the same breath if a baby was dropped at my door and they needed to be taken care of, I would take them in a heartbeat. It's not about my own genes. It's about, for me, it's about the female human experience of growing a baby, birthing a baby, and nursing and breastfeeding a baby. It's the female human experience that I desire And of course, you know, a baby and the connection and the raising, um, but it's, yeah, it, I just hope that people can be really, really honest with their desire for adoption because I've had adoptees come onto my trusting birth page and speak from their perspective that there's a lot of drama there and Hmm. yeah, it's just a big, it's a big topic that I get really emotional about. Oh yeah, for sure. And I agree so much and I'm I I very often get very emotional about the trauma of children not feeling loved, not feeling good enough, not feeling like they're the first choice. Because that's kind of how I felt, you know, even though even though I was the biological child, but I really I always felt like I wasn't good enough and I wasn't um, 
worthy, you know, of, of love. And I would never, I would never want my child to feel that. Never. And I really appreciate you sharing your, your thoughts about that and your feelings about it. Because I just, it, yeah, it was the same for us, my husband and I. We talked about that and we agreed that we would never want to adopt because we gave up on having biological children. That was just never, that was never going to be our path. Yeah, I think it's important that we spoke on that. But also the other, I, I know, I know the other perspective also exists that a lot of people are brought to the child they are meant to through adoption because they didn't get pregnant and that exists too everyone's journey is so different i agree and i i definitely believe that things happen the way that they're supposed to happen and so i think that if you have adopted a child or if you were adopted that exact that was exactly what was supposed to be your path and that's it's so even from like having had the traumatic childhood that I had, I am so I'm I'm so thankful for it. Which sounds insane, but I'm so thankful for that. Because it turned me into the person that I am today. And I've been able to support other teenagers or teenagers now that I'm an adult, I've been able to support teenagers who are in a difficult situation because of my history. Because I know, I know, I know what it feels like. And that's such a gift. And I would never, I would never give that away. No way. So at the end of 2020, you guys were in this adoption class? Yeah. 2020 was, was really the year that I, that I really stopped being a victim. Like all the rest of the victimhood that I still had in me, that disappeared in 2020. And I, I realized like my life is happening without me. Like I'm just waiting for this child and everything is going on around me. And I made this really conscious decision. Okay, this needs to change right now. <laughs> and so, yeah. So then we went into this adoption process. And then at the end of the class, this was in November. And we both felt ready to go ahead and start gathering the paperwork and just adoption works a little bit differently in Norway and I'm not going to go into that but then I said to my husband what if we have a baby by next Christmas and it felt so true to me like whoa we're gonna have a baby by next Christmas like this is happening we're having a baby and I had really imagined and pictured this baby that we were going to adopt and then in January 2021, I bought the book The Magic, and it's pretty much a 28-day gratefulness and manifesting challenge. <laughs> and it really, it really, it changed so much. Again, like I feel like I keep saying it changed my life, but it really did change my life. And I, I literally manifested hundreds of dollars in cash. It was there was one day that was about manifesting money. And then that day, I just found in my house 
it was like $500 in cash. We never have cash. I had no idea. Like, where does this, where is this money coming from? <laughs> I had no idea. And my husband had no idea. And it was just, I manifested like $500 in cash. And I also I did, I did like several days about my, uh, my relationship with my mother. And I started feeling really grateful about my youth and how I grew up. And I found this really profound, real, deep gratefulness for my fertility journey. And I was, I, I felt myself like being very happy that we didn't have kids yet. Not like in that moment, like I'm so happy we don't have kids right now, but I'm so happy that we didn't have kids like in, what was it? Like 2015, 2016, when we started trying that would have been insane. <laughs> that would have been like that would have been I would have been such a different mom. And I was so thankful for this whole process and I was I was even really deeply grateful for the miscarriages that I had had, especially the first one which was like the most difficult experience of my entire life and still like one of the most important ones. And then one of the days of this challenge, I wrote on, I have this little whiteboard in my office. I still, I still have it upstairs and it still says baby girl 2021 on there. Uh, I haven't erased it and I don't think I will ever erase it. If it goes away, that will be an accident. <laughs> and I had imagined this to be an adopted child, but a month later I found out that I was pregnant just one month later. So at the end of February, beginning of March, I realized I was pregnant. And when I found out that I was pregnant, I was, I felt so safe. There was no fear. There was no doubt. I was just like, yeah, there she is. There she is. And I had so much contact with her from the very beginning. And, and people think I'm crazy when I say this, but I could feel her move from day one. I felt her movement inside of my body. And I knew that it was a girl. And at the same time, because I felt this, I felt this overwhelming sense of joy. And at the same time, I felt grief. I actually had to grieve the adopted child that I had chosen, that we had chosen to go for, because that was, that had become our first choice at that moment. Adopting was our first choice. And then I got pregnant and I had to grieve the loss of the baby girl that I thought we were adopting at the same time that I was so happy and joyful that I was pregnant. And that felt so similar to grieving a miscarriage. So, so similar. And it felt so like nobody, nobody could understand. Nobody understood how I felt. And people kept telling me how I should feel. People kept telling me like, oh, you must be so, this must be so scary for you to be pregnant now with your history. And I'm like, no, not at all. And that's not, that's not what this is about, you know? Like I, I'm feeling things that are really hard to put into words because 
I don't want to sound ungrateful, you know? And I really, I still sometimes feel like, well, I, I've talked, I've talked with my daughter about this actually, even though, yeah, she's two years old, but they understand so much. So even when she was inside my body and when she was a baby and now that she's older, I've told her like, I, I, I was sad in the beginning when you were in my belly, you know, I was sad at first and that was not about you. I was so happy that you were there and at the same time I was sad and I was grieving, but that was about me. It was not about you. And I think that's so important too to acknowledge that because I I 100% I know for sure that babies as soon as they're conceived they know what's going on they feel what's going on in your body and I don't want her to ever feel like she was the second choice you know like we talked about with that adopted adopted children and how they can feel sometimes and I really that was very important to me but mostly it was so much joy (laughs) yeah that was so amazing I love that you spoke to that because I had tears in my eyes the whole time because I'm really brought into my body when you're speaking to your lived body experience and I just kept thinking this is the woman's experience this is a woman's lived experience and it's complex and it's so easy to be gaslit on you should feel this and why are you grieving this imaginary situation but this is the yeah. this is our feminine nature we feel deeply and we feel so much and we feel so much for other people because we have this open heart and yeah i just love i love how you spoke to that because you can really only be available to it if you are there with yourself and that's what your journey has been you were so disconnected you were Mm. so disconnected years prior you were you were working a job you hated and you didn't even know (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) this entire journey brought you to yourself you in your body what do you feel what do you love what are you motivated by do you want to be a victim or no, no, I don't want to be a victim. And you chose. You're like, I don't want to be a victim anymore. I want to be happy and have purpose and meaning. And you did it. And that's our power. And that's our free will. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's so important to me because because I I feel so proud and happy that my daughter could come into this world knowing that she's she's so deeply loved that's one and that she is not here to fulfill my life to fulfill my purpose and make me feel happy that's not her purpose and I was a full person before she came and she's here to fulfill her destiny and and live her life she's not here for me and that's such a huge change from who I was when I started this journey. Yeah, because you wanted her to fill in all the gaps of love that you didn't get as a child. You're like, I need this baby to, f- to love me the way I've never been loved in my life. 
and then you your spiritual journey started and you realized oh wow it's my responsibility to fill in those gaps right that's our free will that's our sovereignty that's our agency and that's where our power is and your daughter came when she knew it you wouldn't view her as hey the goal of your life is to make me happy because she's like oh that's no life i want (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and I think I, and she she has taught me so much and she teaches me new things every single day. And just some of the things that she really confronted me with also during the pregnancy. Like, for example, I became like when I was pregnant, I realized I was so I was petrified of having a C-section. I was so scared of having a C-section and I felt like I couldn't say that out loud because I was a doula. Like you can't say out loud that you're scared of something to have that has to do with birth when you're a doula, you know? And I then I realized that there's no wonder that I'm scared of a C-section. My dad was born by C-section and he was born after my grandma had lost two babies. So my grandma had she had six babies in total and now only three are alive but she had two babies that died one died during childbirth and the other one died shortly after and then she was pregnant with my dad and he was born by c-section and i have talked to him and asked him a little bit like i've, I've tried to ask him about when i was born he can't even remember because he was so scared. He was terrified. And it's just so clear to me, like it's so, it makes so much sense that I was scared to have a C-section because the trauma that he never, he never dealt with that trauma. He was just super scared all four times that he became a dad. He was just terrified. He never dealt with that. That's not something that, (laughs) it's not the way he lives his life, which is fine. (laughs) But then that means that I had to deal with it. And probably my siblings, my siblings have to deal with it too. You know, because the, the trauma that you don't deal with, your kids have to deal with it. That's just how it works. And so I try to, I still try to, to deal with my own stuff because I'm not done. Nobody's done. I keep having like trauma responses and really bad days and yeah, of course. But I try to be, I try to be, well, I know I am a really good mom to my daughter and I try to be better. I try to be better every day and I try to work on my stuff so that she doesn't have to carry my trauma as well. She'll have her own, I'm sure. (laughs) We all do. But I don't want her to carry too much of mine. Yeah, that's a beautiful desire, honestly. What was your pregnancy like with her? And then when did you end up going into birth? What was that journey like? Yeah. um, I got pregnant while uh, while I was doing the doula training. And so I went, I traveled back and forth to go to those trainings Uh, with her in my belly physically I did not love being pregnant like my body 
did not love that at all. <laughs> I had I had a lot of like pelvic instability issues. I am I'm hypermobile to begin with, so I had a lot of like pains and aches and things. But emotionally and spiritually, I I would I I'd want to be pregnant all the time. <laughs> Cuz I just I loved being so close to somebody and having that connection and just waking up in the morning and saying good morning to her and just I would sing to her every night before I went to sleep and it just felt so felt amazing and then later when when the kicks and movements became like more more noticeable as kicks and movements not just the like fluttery feeling that I had in the beginning then my husband and I started having we had this thing when we had already decided her name her name's Pippi and then when she would wake up and kick we would we would have this like almost like a happy dance and we would say yay Pippi's awake hi Pippi (laughs) and I just know that she that she felt that and that we were always so happy that she was there and and every time she moved we were like yay (laughs) and i yeah that just felt it felt so amazing and i still i still do that now whenever she enters a room or if i've been away and i'm coming in then i i read this thing or i saw this thing about um, reacting as though you're a dog when you see your child and having this like super happy oh I'm so happy to see you like a dog reacts when you come home from work you know and I do that almost every time when I come in the door or she comes in in the door and it just lights her up you know she's so oh she's so amazing and those kids are so real you know so when I she can come in and be like really tired from a nap or something and my husband has picked her up and then she comes in and she's really tired and then I go yay I'm so happy you're here and then her whole face just lights up and I know that that's it's of course it's from this moment and me reacting to her the way that I do but it's also I think it's a memory from when she was inside my body and remembering just just how happy we were that she was there and how happy we still are and she loves hearing her birth story it's her favorite she wants to hear it all the time <laughs> and I even I've showed her like the video of when she was born we have this little video that my doula made um and I've shown that to her several times and then last night when she was sleeping then she <laughs> she talked in her sleep and she doesn't really do that. We've never had her do that before. We never heard it. And then she talked in her sleep right after my husband and I had gone to bed. We co-sleep with her, so she sleeps between us in our bed. And then we went and laid down next to her. And then she said something like, oh, there's Pippi's head out. <laughs> so she was like dreaming about her birth story or her birth video or I don't know. That's so amazing. And yeah, we just we talk about those things and talk about when she was when she was inside of my body and then when I tell her my birth story, I'll go into like and then my body was really working and then she'll say and I was really working. <laughs> she like supplements the story, which is really really cool. 
because I really felt like we did that together. Because it's true. Yeah. You guys were working together. You were a team. Yeah, 100%. And she was born at home. She was born here, here in our living room. We had a doula and a midwife who were amazing. And my husband was amazing. And we just, we were this really awesome team and we'd prepared together really well my husband was super well prepared and he helped me with my breathing and he was like right by my face throughout the whole nine hours that it lasted he was like right there the whole time and he was a huge support and then when she was born he caught her so right before I was in a a birthing tub and then right before she came out because he kept feeling with his hand like is she coming is she coming um and then he felt that her head was coming and then he asked me if he could come into the pool and I said yes and then he like ripped off his clothes in like two seconds and we have a little video of this moment that my doula took that he he like steps into the pool and he bends down and then he catches her like she was born in that moment when he went into the pool And then it was just, it was so, it was really, really nice and really, really cool. And I felt so supported and powerful. And just, this is what, like you said it before, this is what being a woman is about, you know. And I had doubts, especially at the beginning of my journey. I felt like, okay, so what if I can't have biological children? What makes me a woman if I can't have biological kids? And if I can't breastfeed, then what is being a woman? And those are like really deep questions that I had to answer for myself and, and think about what is really, really important to me and why. Why do I feel this need? But I did, I did throughout the whole journey feel like I would have biological children so I never had to grieve that process but I did have some doubts about my like my womanhood like am I am I woman enough when we are having issues when it's hard to get pregnant does that mean that I'm not feminine enough does it does it mean that I'm not yeah that I'm not that I'm not woman enough pretty much and those are big questions and I'm still breastfeeding my daughter now at almost two and a half. So, <laughs> which is awesome. That's beautiful. Do you want to share anything about your motherhood journey? Like maybe, I mean, you said it before we started recording or even when we we're recording. You are so grateful for your years not conceiving because it made you into the woman you are now. And it made you into the mother you are to Pippi. It could not have been any other way. And thank God it wasn't. I know, right? Yeah, it was absolutely perfect. I can't even imagine if I had become a mother at the beginning of this journey. Because I still had all of these like open wounds that I hadn't healed. And my own mother wound. And I would have, I would have passed that on to my child 100%. And then she would have had to deal with it. And I think that that for me in my journey that just feels really unfair and it's not something that I want to that I want to push onto her and I feel even now when I have when I've had very little sleep for example or I have I'm 
if I've, if I've not slept enough and I've forgotten to eat breakfast or like things are really like piling up, I can still feel that I sometimes can react in a way that's not the mother that I want to be. Because a lot of the time when we're like really down to the bone, how, how I learned to be a mother, that's what's left when everything else is gone, you know? Because it's so deeply ingrained. Like I learned these things when I was in my mother's womb. That's when I learned what, what it is to be a mother. And I had to relearn as an adult. But those automatic reactions don't completely disappear, I think. Especially when we're tired. and. I love that you brought this up. Because it's what you're saying is... When you're under-resourced, when you have a lack of sleep, when you have a lack of nutrients, when you have a lack of something where you don't feel your whole self, that is when we're not living from that, that authentic place, that whole place. And that's why sleep, nutrition, sunlight, nature, movement, yoga, whatever it is, you know, connection with spirit, all of these modalities basic needs of mothers to fill their body and their spirit and their energy field and their their full selves so that they could be their whole complete selves in a way to be the mother they want to be because when something's missing like a lack of sleep we revert to the autopilot version of ourselves the programmed version of ourselves the space in our brain where we then have our mother's reaction. We have our father's reaction. It's like when we have a lack of sleep or lack of food, you know, low blood sugar, we get into this robot autopilot state and we react from our program past self. And we can't be the person we want to be. And that's why it's so important for a mother to fill her own needs, basic needs of food, sleep, to the best you can, you know, movement, sunlight, to be the mother you want to be because otherwise we revert back to our reactionary self, which is our past self, our program self from our parents. And we all see the tidbits that we all have from our parents because we're all programmed from our parents. And not all of it is sometimes all bad. Sometimes there's good traits. But a lot of times it's in stress and it's in reactions that we're like, oh, wow, that was my mom. And I just was my mom. And if I'm being my mom this moment to my child, I will create another me. <laughs> and I don't want that. Yes, exactly. And, and it's, I will create another me the way that I was before I healed, you know. And it's so, yeah, that's, it's so important. So, so whenever whenever I feel like reactive like that and triggered because that's what it is pretty much and our kids are like hardwired to trigger us <laughs> like they know they know which buttons to push <laughs> which is good I think it's designed that way because it's there she is helping me heal so much deeper and when I feel triggered by something that she does or something that she says and I feel myself becoming reactive, that's such an important sign for me to notice and to know that, okay, 
what do I need right now? And it can be, like you said, food, sleep, sunlight, movement, uh, alone time. (laughs) Just having, you know, getting a break, taking a bath alone, (laughs) things like that. And that's so important to notice and to actually do something about it. And support, support, very important as well. I'm wondering if you notice if she does any patterns that little Annette did and then you get to kind of, you know, mother your inner child with that mirror. Yeah, absolutely. And and even in things in things that all kids do, you know, having tantrums or or like uncontrollable crying from something that that for an adult seems like nothing, you know, like a broken cookie. <laughs> and then just melting down over something that's that's seemingly small. And it just feels it feels for me to me it feels so amazing to get to witness that and take that seriously and not laugh at her when she's having a tantrum you know and not belittle her feelings when the cookie is broken and she really wanted a whole cookie you know just really sit with her and be like you know what I know I know you really wanted a whole cookie and I know that this is an analogy also from from aware parenting I've read some aware parenting and gone into that a little bit, which is really about seeing your child and being there with them instead of in the whole idea of this is how children are supposed to behave, you know? Yeah, her devastation over a broken cookie. I was talking about this with my brother recently. I'm happy you brought it up because I see reels or TikToks that mock children. And it devastates me, right? Because I feel like I am the defender of children and they mock children. And what they don't understand is that this is a child getting practice with human emotions. Practice feeling devastation. Practice feeling disappointment. This is all practice and it's in alignment to their brain development. Devastation to their two-year-old brain is a broken cookie. Their devastation won't be that their dad lost their job, his job today. Devastation to a two-year-old brain is a broken cookie. They are getting practice in their emotions. This is their practice. Oh my gosh, I'm so passionate about this. Me too, me too. And I also get so upset when I see those videos on, on Instagram and everywhere. The people are mocking their kids' feelings. And I also I also feel really strongly that it's it's when when she gets devastated from a broken cookie, it's usually because something has happened earlier that day that was also upsetting, but then she pushed it down. So for example, if she um there's been like a couple of times where uh, she has she has this uh, woman that babysits her a little bit and she loves her so much. And then um, we have had it happen that she falls at her house and then she has like a smaller reaction. And then I show up and she tells me that she has fallen and she's just so devastated. And the crying just goes on and on and on. You know, it's just the release of that emotion, which is so healthy. And I don't want to be a part of, of 
the culture of telling her to push that down. That's what I did as a child. I had to push back those feelings. And what happened was that when I was a teenager, I cried all the time because I couldn't hold it in anymore. Because there were so many feelings from my whole childhood that I had just been pushing and pushing and pushing down. And that lid just burst open. And I really, I want to teach her to feel those feelings instead of pushing them away. And if, and I, I know it's not if, it's I know that she feels safe enough with me and her dad to feel those feelings, which sometimes mean, means that even, even as a two-year-old, and I know that's shocking for some people, but even as a two-year-old, it can happen that she cries for an hour or two hours. And that's fine. That's fine. Because it's not that we're not able to stop her from, from crying. It's that, it's that that's not our goal. Our goal is not to stop her from crying. Our goal is to allow her to feel those emotions and to have them go through her body so that they can be released. Because if, if not, if we, if we distract her with, with screens or with, with candy or food or anything, then, then that's pushing those emotions down and they will come out eventually one way or another. And sometimes that's aggression when you're older. It can be so many things. Yeah, and a parent trying to stop a child from crying, even if you think it's, even if you think you're innocent in trying to get a child to stop crying, the message still is, is that crying is not good. Crying should be avoided. Crying should be avoided. We don't want to cry. And that's just subliminal messaging that happens if, if you keep trying to silence the cries. Because yeah, you know, it could be annoying and it could get under your skin, but it's probably going to get under your skin if you're under-resourced. If you haven't eaten that day, if you're working a job that you hate, it's all tied in. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's definitely all tied in. And it's, it's a lot less triggering when you, one, when you, when you know these things, that crying is not a bad thing. And when you have the resources to actually handle listening to crying for an hour, an hour and a half. Because you have to have the fuel to listen to that. Yeah, and the capacity to lean into a discomfort. Our society, this American society I live in, we are very hyper aware of sounds. You know, like a baby crying just a little bit on an airplane, everyone starts looking. There's this no resiliency with sounds. And so if a kid is crying for a full hour, that is going to bring up stuff from your past. It is going to bring up discomfort. And can you lean into it? Do you have the courage to lean into the discomfort you feel of an innocent child expressing their emotions? Definitely, absolutely. And, and we're, already, oh, we're already seeing so much in her um, because we're doing this, because we're allowing her to have these emotions. She's such a balanced child. It's, it's like, it's, it's crazy. And even when, when she's like playing with her little doll, she, sometimes she comes to me and she says, oh, the doll is, the doll is sad and needs comforting. And then comforting in our, ho- in our house, in our home, 
That's not, that's not picking up the baby and saying, oh, don't cry, come here, don't cry. That's not that. It's something entirely different. And I see my daughter doing that. I see her holding her doll. And then she goes, oh, you can cry. It's nice to cry, isn't it? You know, like that feels good. <laughs> and it's so beautiful to see that. It's amazing. <laughs> 